the NFL is headed south of the equator. We also have our next Super Bowl location. Plus, we're diving into all things college football and NFL with ESPN's Matt Miller. It's Thursday, December 14th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The NFL is headed to the Southern Hemisphere for the first time. The league has played regular season games in London, Germany, and Mexico, and next season, they'll be playing a regular season game in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which will be its first trip to South America or anywhere south of the equator. We don't know which teams will be playing there, but a good bet would be the Miami Dolphins, which is the only team with international marketing rights in Brazil. The league is also looking at adding games in Spain, where marketing rights are shared by the Dolphins and Bears. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said earlier this month in Frankfurt that he sees football becoming a global game in the next five to ten years. Not quite sure what qualifies the league as global, but I think if you have regular games and established fan bases on three continents, then that counts. The NFL regularly sells out games in two European countries with a third on the horizon, and now it's going to try to make the same thing happen in South America. But don't think for a moment that the league will be satisfied with that. An audience on three continents means you still have three to go. While the NFL is reaching into new territory, it's also returning to a familiar spot. The league is set to bring the 2027 Super Bowl to SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. That will be two in five years for the home of the Rams and Chargers, which opened in 2020 and hosted the big game in 2022. It will also mean two consecutive California Super Bowls because the 2026 final will be at the 49ers home in Santa Clara. But most importantly, this means that L.A. will not have to skip a year of hosting one of the biggest sporting events in the world. The city will have CONCACAF games next year. It'll probably have Club World Cup games in 2025. They'll have World Cup games in 2026. The Summer Olympics in 2028 with Shohei Otani in the fold and more additions coming. The Dodgers are a very good bet to be hosting playoff games, as are the Lakers and Kings. But there was an open spot on the 2027 calendar. Fortunately, that has been rectified by the NFL, which was clearly worried that people in Los Angeles would get bored if they had to go six months without hosting a massive event. And Oklahoma City residents approved the extension of a sales tax that will contribute toward a $900 million fund to help build a new arena for the Oklahoma City Thunder. As part of the deal, the team will commit to the city through 2050, at which point voters might be asked to pony up again. The team currently plays in the Paycom Center, and the new arena offers a chance to course correct on an obvious missed opportunity. The Thunder should play in the Thunderdome. You can keep Paycom on there, make it the Paycom Thunderdome, because they have a 15-year naming rights deal that began in 2021. But if the people of Oklahoma are paying $900 million for this, they deserve an arena with a cool name. And this one is just too obvious to pass up. Up next, I spoke to ESPN's Matt Miller on everything going on in college football, including the playoff controversy, how NIL and the transfer portal are changing everything, and we also hit on some of the bigger stories going on right now in the NFL. That conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined once again by Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. Welcome, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun to get to sit down and talk about the draft and college football and the NFL with you guys. Yeah, yeah, plenty to talk about as always. I want to start with some relatively old news, uh, but I wanted to get your take on uh, Florida State being left out of the you know the college football playoff this year. Um, do, do you think the selection committee made a defensible choice? 
So I actually do. And Florida State fans have been very angry with me uh, on, on Twitter because I uh, let me first, I feel terrible for them. And I, I had actually picked Florida State to make a run this year before the season. It's like that Florida State's loaded this year. Like they're they're primed to make a run. And I feel awful for them that to go 13 and 0 and to miss out is is heartbreaking. But I also understand that the the CFP committee they don't want a repeat of TCU Georgia. And I think that whether we want to admit it or not, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't cover college football for ESPN. I'm not privy to any conversations about this. It's just my own opinion. I, I imagine that that is a big part of this is they don't want another kind of embarrassing, you know, beat down uh, of a playoff game. And so I think when you look at Jordan Travis being hurt, you know, neither backup really, you know, played that well in, in replacing him, certainly not to the level he played. So I know people will say, well, what about Cardale Jones? Well, Cardale played pretty well those last three games. Or people will say, what about Nick Foles? Well, Nick Foles played, you know, half a season uh, in, in replacement of Carson Wentz. And so I, I think, you know, it sucks for Florida State fans. There's no way around that. But this is the world that, you know, the college football conferences have agreed to. And so this is where we're at. It's the last year we're going to have to deal with it, which is the nice thing. You know, I think if it was 2024, Florida State would be in. We would get an opportunity to see with a month of practice if they could get one of those backup quarterbacks ready to roll. As you alluded to, we're going to 12 teams next year. And that's going to alleviate the, you know, the major snub of, you know, that number five team that absolutely could be considered the number four or the number three but I also feel like things are going to get more marginal when you're deciding between 12 and 13. So do you think the 12-team uh, playoff will will create more problems or solve more problems? Or, or what's your take on that whole thing? I think it's going to solve high-level problems and create more low-level ones. Because, you know, right now, I think all of us who love college football, we love it because, you know, you can lose one game and, and that can change your season that's going to be different next year. We're going to see a lot of two lost teams. We might even see some three lost teams in, in the top 12. So there's going to be that conversation of which two lost team is most deserving, which three lost team might be most deserving. You know, uh, how much does strength of schedule matter? What about quality wins? So there will be, I think a lot more debate about the 12 team bracket. If you can imagine that, than there even has been about the four team bracket, because it's kind of like, all right, these are the top four teams. Sorry, sorry, Georgia. Sorry, Florida state. You know, sorry, uh, Oregon, you, you know, you guys didn't get it done for whatever reason. You're out. Uh, next year, it's going to be, there's going to be so many teams that feel like they have a claim to that 11th or 12th spot. Whereas this year, you know, it's like two, two fan bases really that, that have an argument this year. So it, uh, I, I don't, I don't envy the, the committee next year when they have to make this decision. But the cool thing is it will open up a lot more opportunity. And I, I think for, you know, even for what I do, you know, we, we already see a lot of, players say, no, I'm not going to play in the bowl game. I'm going to get ready for the NFL draft because their season's effectively over. You know, even if you're a Georgia player or a Florida State player, you're playing for school pride at this point. You're not playing for anything. So one cool, I think, side effect for for people who cover the NFL draft like I do or fans who love the NFL draft is we're going to see those top 12 teams, their star players are going to keep playing. And and that's definitely going to make the job a lot more fun. Yeah, actually, that's the next place I was going to go is, um, yeah, 
sounds like you do think that this will <laughs> lead to you know more players um yeah not skipping bowl games if they're in the cfp and so you know that's that's that many more players right. who you get at least one more game right. out of um caleb williams and drake yeah, may and, are both you know they're both skipping their bowl games and understandably you're not playing for anything you you might be the number one and number two overall picks in the draft don't risk getting hurt but next year, um, we probably wouldn't see USC or North Carolina in the top 12. But conceivably next year, you know, we might have a situation where, you know, we're listening. Carson Beck at Georgia, Quinn Ewers at Texas are actually playing, you know, a, a couple more games at least. And, and that's definitely going to help with the evaluation process. Um, sticking with college football, uh, we've seen, actually I haven't checked today's numbers, but over last I checked, over 1,300 players enter the transfer portal since it opened uh, earlier this month. And the use of the portal has exploded in the last few years. It feels like, you know, kind of why not? You know, you, you might get more NIL money if you're not getting the playing time you want. And you can always back out, uh, if you, assuming you haven't been replaced by someone else in the transfer portal. <laughs> right. um, is this is this trend a problem for anyone and for the NCAA, for the teams, for or, or is it just the reality and that's fine? I think it's the reality and that's fine. I mean, there are definitely, you know, I talk to college coaches on a daily basis and there are guys who are definitely frustrated, but um, you know, I, I think the, it, we've kind of seen this coming, right? It, the years of transfers, this is not a, a entirely new thing is you have to be able to recruit in-house as well as you recruit out of house. And that's why Alabama only has three players in the transfer portal right now. Texas only has seven players in the transfer portal right now. Those coaches are recruiting in-house as well as they are out of house. And so that's that's really the key. But when you see numbers like, what is it? I think six of the last seven Heisman Trophy winners have been transfer players. That that shows you, you know, like, man, that maybe I take that extra year, you know, that one more chance to improve my game, you know, and, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, obviously, you know, kind of started that trend. Joe Burrow, Caleb Williams, there's been so many great players and even Jaden Daniels this year, who was obviously at LSU a little bit longer than just a one-year bump. But, um, you know, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, guys who were great players this year, also transfer players. So for that aspect of it, I like that, you know, that we're not seeing guys, you know, give up necessarily. They're getting more opportunities. Um, this It's been crazy with the transfer portal and the COVID years where like 2020 just didn't count. And, and you, you're like, oh, that year doesn't count. I can keep playing college football for seven years. Um, that's been certainly interesting. That's about to expire. But uh, I do think like a net positive, there, there's definitely going to be those situations where the transfer portal hurts colleges, hurts teams, hurts players. But I'm such an advocate for players getting all the opportunities they can. And and if even like you said, if it's more NIL money uh, to go from a, you know, a smaller school to a bigger school, you got to capitalize on those opportunities while you can. And does this effectively create uh, another level where maybe before we had high school, college, NFL, um, you know, now maybe some of those spots that would be filled by high school players are being filled by transfers. And so they are maybe being replaced by high school players. Does it essentially create a de facto other college division of, you know, freshmen, sophomores trying to prove themselves so that then maybe they can transfer to a, a bigger school and get a better opportunity. Do you see that kind of thing happening? Yeah, definitely. It's almost like a, almost like a minor league and I, not no disrespect to smaller schools. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm in the state of Missouri. Uh, Cody Schrader who's an all American running back was at D two Truman state, uh, walked on to Mizzou and this year, you know, is now an all American. So there's great success stories like that of guys where you do maybe go to a smaller school so you can play right away and you put yourself on the map and say, okay, now I, now I can go up, 
you know, a level. Now I can get into the bigger schools. Um, so I, I do think you, you make a really good point there. Kind of on the flip side, what's interesting though is this year's a great example of this. The middle market, uh, especially at quarterback, is gone. Like in terms of the NFL draft, you got the guys who are going to be, you know, top first round picks. You've got the guys who have exhausted their eligibility. And then, you know, there's not that middle ground. There's so many guys who are saying, no, I'll go back. I'll go to school for one more year. You know, we see Cam Ward in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, we see so many guys who are saying, no, you know, Riley Leonard is, and it goes from Duke to Notre Dame. So some of that middle market, and I, I imagine at every position, not just quarterback, it's just the most noticeable there. Players are, are staying in college longer than, than they have in a really long time, which is great for development. It's great for the college game. But as far as the, you know, NFL teams looking to improve their rosters, it's going to be harder to find some of those mid-round steals like we we see every year. And is that just because the money is starting to get comparable between a rookie NFL contract and, uh, you know, some of the better NIL deals we're seeing? I think I think so. You know, what Matt Rule say? A good quarterback right now costs you a mil, mil five, two million dollars. Uh you know, Brock Purdy doesn't make a million dollars a year playing for the 49ers and <laughs> he's a starter. So if you're going to be a late round pick, especially the money's you know, at, at quarterback, wide receiver, you know, maybe a star defensive player. You know, if you're a guy who's maybe undersized or you've got some injury issues, something like that, it, it definitely is beneficial to, to get the NIL money. Uh, I mentioned Riley Leonard, who starting quarterback at Duke uh, dealt with some injuries this year. His game didn't really take the next step that a lot of people thought it might. So instead of being a third round draft pick, uh, you go to to Notre Dame. It's a marquee program. I'm sure they're paying very well for a starting quarterback at Notre Dame. So not only do you get a chance to make life changing money, let's be honest, it's this life changing money, but also a chance to develop and and better your chances of being a higher draft pick in the NFL. So there's a it's like a win win if you're one of those players. And. You know, Charlie Baker put out a proposal that would start to open the door to athlete comp- college athlete compensation. Uh, that feels like it's going to happen in some form in the next, you know, whatever few years, five years. Do you think that changes the equation, or is NIL just so pervasive now that it, it's just kind of a more direct mechanism to do what's already happening? Yeah, I think it's just more direct. Um, you know, NIL is like you said, it's so huge and it's, you know, it's open these great opportunities, but I don't know that it will change things. It, probably the biggest thing I would think would be, you know, more of like a collective bargaining between the colleges and the, the student athletes, which is so funny. You remember, it wasn't that long ago, Northwestern players tried to unionize and like got shut down. It was like, no way you're, you're not, you're not employees, you're student athletes. And now it's, well, you know, they're going to be employees very, very soon. And so I think that's what you know, especially for you guys covering the business of sports will be fascinating is, uh, you know, right now there's no salary cap on NIL, you know, and so I, I think that's one thing we might see once the, you know, once it's more of a true employer employee situation, we're probably going to get some, you know, more constraints as opposed to, hey, here's this month long window where you guys can transfer. And it's the wild west right now. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more regulation as, as soon as the colleges get involved. Yeah, yeah, that'll be very interesting. Uh, Let me hop over to the NFL briefly. Uh, So NFL owners are discussing adding uh, more international games. There are five this season, I believe. There could be another four uh, going forward. Is there a limit to this or or is the limit, you know, a a European division? It it might be. It's, you know, trying to get a team over there. You know, we always thought maybe Jacksonville would be the team that goes over there. They're they're playing well enough right now. I think they're safe in Florida. Uh, But yeah, I 
I don't know that there is an end. And this is kind of the crazy thing we were talking about, you know, collective bargaining and unions is that the Players Association has seemingly like, I don't even know what they're they're fighting for at this point. The the league just wins on everything. It's like we want 17 games. And by the way, you have to play one overseas game a year now and you have to give up a home game, you know, where you're not even making as much money from ticket sales. So it's kind of it is crazy that right now and it's it's great for the growth of the NFL. I mean, we see it at TV ratings, we see it in, you know, internet audience. It's great for the growth of the game. Uh the players though, I think at some point what is it? Seven more years the CBA runs right now. Uh, when that finally runs out, I think the players are going to look around and say, "Wait a second, we've got to we've got to get something out of this deal." But it is it is fun, and I I went to London several years ago uh, to to cover one of those games, and it is a it is such a good time because those fan bases. It doesn't even matter what two teams are playing. It's such an electric atmosphere. So that part of it's fun. Uh, I, I have a lot of friends who went to Frankfurt, Germany for the Chiefs-Dolphins game. Uh, they still are bragging about how cool that experience was. So um, I, I think for that side of it, it it's, it's definitely fun. But you know the players have to be fuming that they're not getting a, a better cut of this deal. Yeah, and if you were the players, I mean, obviously, as you said, the CBA, they can't do a whole lot for, for, for the time being. But when it comes time to fight for something of, uh, you know, the next round of negotiations, what would you be fighting for? Yeah, I think it just it still goes back to revenue, getting a higher percentage of the revenue. You know, look at, at NBA players who they run that league. And I, I know it's different because of, you know, the star power, smaller rosters. But you know, the, the NFL is not going to go back to 16 games. Uh, they're, they're not going to stop playing international games. There's too much money to be made. And so I think if you're the players, that's the best thing you can hope for is, is just a bigger cut of that money. You know, maybe a faster path to free agency. We saw that come up this past summer with the running back position guy saying, you know, four to five years, that's the life expectancy of a running back right now. So maybe we see that change to a faster path to free agency is something that would benefit every player. You know, right now it's four years. Uh, minimum uh, five years if you're a first round draft pick. But with the franchise tag, you know, if you're a first round draft pick, that team can control you for seven years. Uh, and, and really, your wages are locked in. There's no opportunity to, to negotiate a higher wage. So I, I think that would be, if the Players Association asked my opinion, it would be faster path to free agency and a bigger cut of the, of the revenue for the, the salary cap. And before you go, I just want to toss you a super general question about this NFL season or most of the way through the regular season. What's been the story of this year for you? Man, I, I really do think it is the the injuries at the quarterback position. And then, you know, some of the struggles offensively that we've seen, you know, there's, you know, obviously explosive offenses, San Francisco, uh, Miami, you know, but even, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are struggling, the Buffalo Bills, a, a fantastic game the two of them had Sunday night, but both those offenses are struggling. Uh, we see injuries to, you know, so many marquee guys, Joe Burrow being probably the biggest one, Aaron Rodgers in week one. So it's a league that really wants to prop up the quarterbacks and that really is marketed on the backs of the quarterbacks. Just we're not seeing, you know, great play across the board this year, which is why, you know, the MVP might be the last pick of the draft from two years ago, which is uh, a crazy, crazy story in and of itself. But uh, I, I think that is the one thing in a league where everything is set up for the offense to score points and for it to be this exciting TV product. You know, it feels like they want every game to be, you know, 35 to, to 34. We're seeing a lot of 2017 games this year, it feels like. Yeah. Does it feel like we've hit peak quarterback? Like, or, or I mean, defenses just figured out how to disrupt 
everything that was making more offenses more explosive or is yeah and it all, it's it such a just injuries but you know yeah it, injuries definitely i think you know we could go for four hours and talk about the lack of practice time how much that's affecting offenses where you need that time to gel you know especially offensive lines these guys just aren't practicing like they were you know five six years ago it's i think that is a huge part of of why we're not seeing you know great offensive play across the board but i i do think it's a cycle you know, you have guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson coming to the NFL right around the same time. Defenses don't know how to keep up with them. It feels like right now defenses have maybe figured it out a little bit, how to do things, how to take some guys, you know, take at least opportunities away from those guys. So now to be on those, you know, the Andy Reeds of the world, the the Brian Dables and, and guys like that to figure out what's the next step. You know, how do we beat, you know, two high safeties and, and man coverage on, on Travis Kelsey. Like, what do we do to, to make this work? And it might just be an answer of better personnel. It might be changing up the scheme, but that's kind of the, you know, the fun undercurrent of the NFL always is the cycles of defenses change to keep up with offenses. Offenses have to change to combat that. So I think it'll, it'll make for a fun year next year. Yeah, absolutely. Matt Miller, always enjoy the insight. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, of course. Always appreciate it. That's it for today. Subscribe and tell a friend about the show. If you're enjoying the show, drop us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Thank you for listening. See you tomorrow.